Welcome to Think Big, a podcast featuring insights and ideas from some of the world's brightest, most collaborative, talented, and passionate people, our employees. Amazing things can happen when you take a moment to think differently and reframe your perspective. New ideas bubble up, we begin to untangle problems, and we evolve. Join me, Meredith Muscolo, as I uncover stories from across Team Nuance that will inspire and challenge you to think big. On November 25th, 2014, employees working at Sony Pictures logged into their computers and saw a cryptic screen that said, hacked by Guardians of Peace, followed by a list of demands, including that Sony withdraw its upcoming film, The Interview. Over the course of minutes and hours, the hackers stole terabytes of private information from Sony's network, including personal information about employees and their families, pay, medical records, sensitive financial data, copies of then-unreleased Sony films, and plans for future films. After that very public cyber attack, companies around the world began implementing new and ever-evolving security measures to prevent similar attacks, something that continues to this day. Precautions such as two-factor authentication, biometrics, and revamping email and document storage policies have become standard operating procedures. But is it enough? With me today is Devlin Carlton, who leads our cloud and product security team, and Lynn-Marie Panzerino, who is a principal information security analyst on our governance, risk, and compliance team, known as GRC, to talk about security in the digital age. Hi, Devlin and Lynn-Marie. Welcome to Think Big. Hey, Meredith. Nice to be here. Hey there. So I know that both of you have extensive experience in security. Devlin, you've been in the field for 25 plus years as a software engineer and a security architect and a security manager at J.P. Morgan Chase, Bose Corporation. And Lynn Marie, I know you've spent the last 10 years working in information security and risk at companies like IBM, Genzyme, and Iron Mountain. The type of work you both do is honestly like the plot of a movie. How did you both get involved in this field? Um, I just fell into it, to be quite honest. Um, I was working at JP Morgan, and um, I was a part of the enterprise architecture team, and they were expanding and investing in security. And they said, hey, you know, you've done some, uh, you know, when you're a software engineer, you did some work on this. Do, Do you want to be part of the security architecture team? And I said, yeah, sounds interesting. And that was about it. I think I probably gave maybe 10 minutes thought. It wasn't much more than that. And um, here we are. (laughs) And I'm somewhat similar to Devlin's. I also kind of uh, transitioned to it, starting with business systems analysis, and then was offered some opportunities in compliance and security, and thought that sounded really interesting and never looked back. It sounds like you both got bitten by the security bug and you just let your careers go. And that's that's really interesting and and cool. I'm always interested to hear how people kind of find their their career paths. So you heard me describe the Sony data breach back in 2014. How do highly visible events like this change how companies share information and do business? It has a lot of impact on the company that it happens to. I mean, um, one that comes to mind is Target. Um, their security organization was completely transformed um, by what happened to them. Um, But obviously, you know, using that as a a method to uh, implement a mature security program isn't really ideal, you know, doing things, coming through, you know, having a lot of pain, putting the company's uh, finances and reputation at risk, 
uh, damage to our customers, um, getting a lot of focus from regulators, isn't the right way to deploy a security program. So generally, you know, mature companies take note of these sort of things and they go, ah, okay, um, it's time to invest in that. And most of the companies that I've worked at have reacted in that way. Um, you know, there's been a slow in uptick over the years in terms of investment and focus on security. It's never quite enough, but we're getting there. And um, we've seen the same in uh, nuance. Luckily, I missed not Petya. Um, I understand that was very painful for everybody that was here and experienced it. But that was another watershed moment, I think, in the history of this uh, company. And it certainly um, put the focus on security. Yeah, definitely. And to follow up on, on that uh, point, or all those points, actually, the sharing of the information then becomes under increased scrutiny, not only the company looking at it and saying, oh, gee, we need to improve this. Um, and, you know, what are the ways we can do so? Also, by having that higher visibility because of the event, then the regulators, as Devlin alluded to earlier, they're looking at us too. When, how are you then keeping in alignment with our requirements, the certifications, the audits, the regulatory, the rules, laws? How does that tie in? <laughs> so they're going to be looking at us as well. So it's kind of a two-pronged visibility spotlight, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, it's both. I mean, it's internal and external. And and you're right, there's there's other people seeing our company and how we react to it. That's that's also important. And I know, Devlin, you mentioned Nonpetia. I was around when that happened. <laughs> I'm sure everyone that, that was around remembers it. Um, we really experienced a cyber attack firsthand here at Nuance. And I know there's probably been some other security incidents over the years that we've really prevented or um, that could have had a harmful impact on our company, but maybe didn't. What measures are we currently doing here at Nuance or what have we done to prevent attacks like this? Well, maybe I can sort of bring something else up, which can be equally as uh, damaging to a company, but it's a little bit more silent. It's a little bit more innocuous. But it can still uh, involve, you know, terabytes and terabytes of company information moving outside our perimeter and outside of our control and potentially being um, disclosed to individuals that we wouldn't want it disclosed to. And that's information sort of leakage that happens on a daily basis. Um, I worked for a company a while ago and um, we were contacted by a SaaS company, a SaaS data document sharing and collaboration company. And they said, hey, you've got uh, so many terabytes of information. And we wondered if you'd like an enterprise agreement. And we thought, hmm, that's kind of weird. We didn't even know we had any information on your platform. And they said, yeah, we've got all this. You know, there's all these um, project plans. There's these um, documentation about prototypes. This was all very interesting. And we were sort of horrified because obviously a lot of this information was highly confidential and shouldn't have been accessed by any external part, party, uh, let alone a vendor that we didn't even have a relationship with. Um, so it turns out we were bleeding around seven terabytes a month to cloud sharing and collaboration platforms, which our users were using to collaborate with partners, potential partners, business entities, uh, companies that we dealt with, et cetera, uh, without really any process, any you know view on security whatsoever. Um, and so that was quite an eye-opener. This information had been flowing for probably years. 
and we really didn't have any control over it. We didn't know where it was. We didn't even know what had, had flown out. And so that was an eye-opener, and that's that does align with something, that initiative that we're just starting, which is how we can understand the information that we have, um, how we can label it, you know, identify it, um, and then how our security controls can either slow down, stop, or manage the flow of information as it flows internally and externally. Yes, and this initiative that Devlin is referring to is going to be known as Always Be Classifying Data, or ABCD. And this is something that's going to be made available over the next few months to Nuance employees. We're really kind of excited about it. It's going to involve some conceptual foundational training and um, some actual experience and using upcoming new technology as well to assist employees with implementing this in their day-to-day activities. So it's kind of cool. That's really great to hear, especially, you know, we all want things to be safe and secure and knowing that there's an initiative that's going to address this and that it's something that employees can do as a, as a good nuanced citizen that they're going to be taking responsibility and something that they can take action on is, is really great. And I'm really excited that you guys are announcing it on Think Big. <laughs> Everyone gets a little sneak peek. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so how will it work? What will employees need to do to, to keep this information safe? We classify information just the same as, you know, you've probably seen in movies like, you know, the Mission Impossible movies where they have all these nice documents with confidential and classified and highly secret stickers all over it. It's pretty much the same thing. It's so that, you know, anybody can look at a document and say, oh, that's highly confidential. Um, And they know the value, you know, that highly confidential information is very, very valuable. They may not understand the content. It may be technical. Um, It may be business related. But they understand that this is very valuable information. But it also means that when we, you know, use our M365 Office um, applications to label something, it also applies a binary label. There's also something that is embedded in the document. And the security controls that we use to manage the flow of information through our networks um, will also be made aware of that. So the access policy that we deploy in our DLP and information management systems will also understand that documents can have this tag, what the available tags are, and how they should handle them. So if something is labeled as highly confidential, um, it will know that, hey, I'm not allowed to do this. You know, I, I should stop it flowing outside of our um, perimeter. If somebody puts an email together and they classify it as highly confidential and they want to send it externally, the system will warn you that say, hey, you know, you shouldn't be, you know, before you even try and push the send button, it should give you an, a warning that, uh, you know, this information is, uh, you've labeled it as sensitive and that, there, you know, there's certain actions that you should do and certain actions that uh, you shouldn't do. So this is all about communication and it's not about getting in the way of business. It's not allow, uh, about people stopping doing things, but it's allowing us to all be informed um, as to what the information is, its value and um, how we should be handling it. Exactly. So the employees will either be themselves putting the classification label on, so they are determining how it should be handled, or they'll be receiving it that's already, as Devlin's saying, has been identified, and then they'll know how to treat it versus, you know, having no awareness at all. So this is to, as he mentioned, communicate 
educate, make people aware. Got it. And that sounds like it's not that hard. It sounds like it's just one little extra step that they'll have to take when they share a file or send an email. Um, and it's not a heavy lift. Is that is that how you would describe it? Yeah, I don't think it's a heavy lift. And also, the, you know, we'll be building in defaults to the system. So if somebody doesn't uh, classify information, it will drop to a, a default in certain instances. But uh, as I said, the idea is this is to be helpful. One of the areas where people do get a bit concerned, and I, I, I used to get a little bit concerned, you know, when I worked for a, I worked for a large bank, I used to get a bit concerned that, oh, am I going to get the classify this wrong? What if I get this is at the wrong level? Um, but the reason we have four levels is that in 99% of the cases, you're pretty much on the ball in terms of, you know, this should either be, this is either going to be, you know, general or confidential. I know it's one of those two. I'm not quite 100% sure. Maybe maybe this is a, an information type that I've never dealt with before. In most cases, if you pick one, you know, and maybe that uh, is a little bit underclassified or a bit overclassified, it doesn't really matter that much um, because there's not a significant difference in the controls most of the time you know, between the different levels. The area where you're going to get in control is if you think, well, I'm not sure if this is public or highly confidential. Um, I, I don't know why anybody would, you know, you know, be at that decision point. Um, that's where there's a, you know, there's a major difference between the controls that are being uh, applied to these uh, these different information classifications. But generally, it's a slow uptick in terms of controls between one level and another. And also, you know, if after the fact you suddenly realize that oh, I've overclassified this, it's being restricted too much, you can always go back and reclassify it. You know, that's something the system allows. Right, and that's what Devlin's talking about. That. Um, M365 technology that will give you that ability to uh, make sure that the classification aligns with how the information should be treated. And then for the other controls, we will have examples during the training. So to provide some guidance for what you should be classifying to get you in that ballpark. And then also we have some guidance on some defaults. So like he was saying, you know, if you don't really know and none of the examples provided really work, then you have some guidance on that too. So this will all be bundled in this nice uh, package that we're going to provide the two teams to the employees. I think that's going to be so helpful for everyone to to, kind of learn what they need to do. I recently read that um, 85% of data breaches include a human element, like an error or a, a phishing click. I think something that's on everyone's mind right now is Microsoft. And I know that Microsoft is also one of the most targeted companies in the world. Can you talk about their uh, security philosophy and their standards? So Microsoft have very high standards, um, and they also um, have a very laser-like focus on the importance of security, not only for you know internal reasons, you know meeting the needs of regulators, but also because it's really required for our customers and partners to have confidence in us as a as an organization and a partner that you know if they give us information or if they run workloads on our platform that those platforms are going to be secure and available and so it's really refreshing to be a part of a company that has that sort of focus and uh, strategy and philosophy with respect to uh, security i think the, the second thing is that they also have the resources to act on 
those needs and wants. Um, you know, I've worked in organizations and everybody said, yeah, security is really, really important. We really should be doing something, but we have no money to do anything or we don't have <laughs> enough people. Uh, and that's always a problem. So with Microsoft, um, it does appear that we're going to have the resources to really move the needle in terms of not just to a sort of mid-level level of maturity, but to a high level of maturity. Yes, and they've been since they've been around a while, and and to your point, you know, being <laughs> being a, of interest to uh, threats and hackers, uh, so they have that awareness, that consciousness that they are a target, and so we're coming into um, a mature environment, working, you know, as part of you know the Microsoft family. It's really cool. We'll be able to leverage things that they already know for their product suite, other things that we can take advantage of. And they're already aligned and working with a lot of the industry-recognized standards such as NIST. So it's a really good fit and it's exciting because then we can bring our piece and, and our perspective work with them from a security posture. So we're all marching to the same goal of being as secure as possible, protecting nuance information and our customer information. One thing I, I do like about their approach is that, you know, there are three fundamental qualities that any security control um, should really support. There's obviously confidentiality and integrity with respect to the, the information. The other is availability, which means that, you know, if I have the rights to access something, I should be, you know, that, that access should be facilitated and, and maintained. Um and that also means that, you know, if I'm sort of challenged for authentication, for example, that shouldn't be difficult. You know, I shouldn't have to remember a 64-character <laughs> password in order to get in my information. You know, the system should be able to identify me to a high level of assurance and let me in without me being sort of like uh, having to jump through hoops. And Microsoft have recognized that. That's the thing. You know, good security doesn't necessarily mean difficult security. So... If you think about their authentic the authentication schemes, um, Microsoft Authenticator is way easier to use than the RSA tool that we had before, which was kind of clunky and difficult. And you know, their whole approach to authentication, you know, passwordless authentication, where they've um, really moved passwords to the back of the queue and put um, token-based authentication and biometrics at the front in terms of the two primary sort of factors. Those um, mechanisms for authentication are equally as effective. And I'd honestly say probably even more so, passwords, of they're generally weak. You know, it, it's it's a scheme that's never going to be sort of um, good because it relies on humans to, <laughs> to be part of the solution. And, and we're not really good at that. Um, machines are very good at passwords. That's why they're always being uh, hacked. But this same approach to ease of use and effectiveness really flows through into the Microsoft uh, M365 application of uh, information classification. It is very straightforward. It's very intuitive. It's very easy to use. And it's also it also communicates. You know, there are tooltips and hoverovers and pop-ups and stuff like that. So the tool is actually trying to help you classify the information correctly. And it's also trying to inform you with respect to the, you know, the risks that may occur if you know certain actions are taken uh, take place. It's not trying to it's not trying to stop you. Um, you know, we see this with DLP, you know, the pop-up says, you know, I think maybe this information may be, you know, highly confidential. It might turn out that it's not. And then, you know, you can override that and, and send the uh, send the email. Um, so these systems are just trying to help and inform us as to, you know, the value and sensitivity of the information that we're dealing with. 
Yeah, and I think this is the whole tie-in to the information classification and, and you know, the background that Microsoft brings to the table. The focus on the consumer and making it simpler is going to help us out with the new technology to support the employees as well. So it's a really, really good fit. Yeah, it's so exciting to hear you guys talk about the partnership with Microsoft and how it impacts security because we've heard so much about our customers and our business and how Microsoft is good, is very exciting in that respect, but we haven't heard so much about it in terms of security. So it makes me so happy to hear you guys talk <laughs> about that. You know, you have such a good experience with what you know right now, which is nuance and seeing it through the Microsoft partnership is just even more um, exciting for all of us, not just, not just you, but to hear why is, is important too. I know we've talked about um, cybersecurity, as far as what's on the horizon and how employees can stay safe, both at home and in work, any advice or tips that you could share for our, our audience? I guess I'll, I'll just sort of you know, share what I do personally. I mean, you know, I, I have an iPhone um, and an iPad. That's mostly what I use. I don't really have a sort of PC anymore, but I always make sure it's up to date. You know, if an update comes through, um, I install that straight away. Uh, there are security recommendations with respect to using, um, it's, it's basically a biometric on my phone at the moment. It uses Face ID. I did look into that. You know, I, there were some security, you know, privacy concerns that I had. I thought, okay, where is my face profile going? But I looked into it. It never it, it never does leave the phone. Um, so companies do take these considerations uh, very seriously. And I honestly think you, you can believe them. So if, you know, Microsoft say that, you know, these profiles, these biometric profiles aren't being uh, shared and they do remain on the device. Um, I think that's the truth. And uh, those controls are very good. And my phone unlocks immediately. It's uh, it's very quick. I think it's very secure. It's got good protocols with respect to, you know, second factor and things like that. So yeah, just make sure it's updated, use the latest. And if there are security controls, switch them all on because if they're well-designed, um, they should be easy to use. Um, good security controls shouldn't be difficult and they shouldn't impede access. And I don't see many that do. You know, most of them are pretty easy and, qu and quick to use. I would also add that I feel people should use the mindset of the information should be treated and devices should be treated as your own. So whether it's, you know, whatever you're doing on your day-to-day -day work situation. So any information that you're handling, any devices that you're using, treat them as if they're your own. You certainly wouldn't want your own, <laughs> as Devlin was saying, privacy situation. You wouldn't want your face or any of your own information to be uh, floating around uncontrolled and without your permission. Since of the pandemic, there's been a lot of group of people working remote that never have before. So the companies have stepped up and, and handled a lot of the security controls, like he was saying, the operating systems, updates, things of that nature. But I also, as somebody who works from home and is fairly security conscious, make sure that I'm not doing any common uh, mistakes, such as, you know, using, if you have your home router, people who just leave the default password for that router, which means that if anybody wants to, they can guess it, and then they're going to be on your network. So making sure you change any default passwords, use VPN uh, religiously to keep your uh, system secure. If you do have a lot of people coming and going in the house, and maybe they shouldn't have access to your work device, 
or your even your own personal information based on who they are. Just be conscious of that. Take it with you. Make sure you've got it set to default to lock up, especially if you have kids around. Those types of things, common sense things. I think most people these days have awareness of multi-factor authentication and a lot of these other parts. But it's just remembering that the vision between work and home is much more blurred these days. But you kind of have to use the same mindset of making sure your personal information, your laptop, your own device, your phone is protected, as well as your work one. Thanks. That's so helpful. I, I think you said it first on, on Think Big <laughs> advice from the security team, right? From from you guys. Well, thank you both so much. Uh, thanks to Lynn Marie and Devlin, really, for all that your teams do to keep us safe and secure. I, it's a big job, and we really appreciate all that you do to keep us safe and secure. So thanks. Well, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Great opportunity. This was fun. Yeah, it was good. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about how to stay safe online, check out the resources listed below this podcast and stay tuned for more info about ABCD. Thank you all for listening to this Think Big podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to like it and you can add a comment with your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time.